And uh, today, we are going to um, uh, continue uh, in uh, our uh, study of 1 John, okay, for a few moments here. And we are in the third chapter, and we've been talking about loving the brethren, which is uh, a big focus here, and we really, uh, I think, have found ourselves uh, challenged by what that means uh, over the last few weeks, that it's not some syrupy, sentimental kind of thing, and and, uh, uh, we uh, talked about current events in our own world a few weeks ago, and and how loving, uh, uh, being people of love, is what differentiates us from uh, others who may even hold the same kind of uh, morals about certain issues. But, uh, uh, but we are called to love, and we're challenged about, about loving in this world when the world is quite unlovable, right? Uh, and how do we do that? How do we do that and maintain our... Uh, our messianic identity as, you know, as, as believers without feeling like we're compromising. It's, th- these are not simple, we are not living in simple days, and these are not simple issues. Even though often times here, God is love, you know. Well, we've been talking about that, and um, uh, now over the past few weeks, we're talking about the command to love, okay? Now, in a few weeks... Uh, the way uh, John lays this out, in a few weeks, we will get to the reason behind that or the nature of, of God and the nature of this love when, you, when we get into the middle of chapter 4. But we've been talking about, really, the command. Because uh, if you've been following along, you know he keeps saying to, to uh, 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 keep the commandments that we've had from the beginning. Uh, and then he uh, says specifically... Loving the brethren. And, uh, and so we talked all about that. But now we're down to verse 19 of chapter 3. 19 to the end of the chapter. And it almost seems like he's now like interjecting something else. But he really isn't, as we'll see. So in verse 19 of 1 John 3, he says, We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall, and shall assure our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemn us for God is greater than our heart and knows all things beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Yeshua HaMashiach Messiah Yeshua, and love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he and he in him. Just as uh, Anna was reading, frankly, from the uh, Bricharashah portion in John 14. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is a great uh, little passage here uh, about assurance about uh, living in such a way that, that we feel confident in approaching God and confident uh, in knowing in whom we believe. Uh, as I said, we are, you know, we are living in uh, days of uncharted waters 
where, uh, in a way, we could say the ship has left the dock, and uh, the ethics and the morals of our culture are not the same uh, as, in general, anymore, as the ethics and morals of those who are Messiah followers, really. It used to be that, you know, you could be ethically and morally right, uh, but not real, but... Uh, and in doing so, uh, being with the majority of people, you know, sort of like the, the norm. But that is no longer the case. And so the challenge becomes not only the issue of standing up for values and pointing our fingers uh, at sin, which is usually what we think about uh, when, when we think about ethics and morals and uh, differing and that we need to stand up, we, mean, we need to be a light in the midst of darkness, and so we need to point out speak into our culture and point out those issues, but we, but we need to do so in a way that uh, is loving. And uh, we practice that in our loving of one another, in the way we love one another, for just as the world can be kind of unlovable, so we at times certainly can be unlovable. But the challenge is for us to love one another, right? Love one another, and, of course, be a light uh, in this world uh, by, our, uh, by our love. There is a book, uh, and the author's name, I think his last name is Green. I don't remember his first name. And it's called Evangelism in the First Century. And uh, it's a book I've had for a long time. It's very interesting. So one little section talks about uh, when people wrote about the early believers outside of the Bible, post-biblical times. When people would write about believers, what were the positive things that they would write? And what's interesting is what stuck, what stuck out was the love of this community or of these communities. The love uh, of these communities, the unconditional love of these communities that they had toward each other and toward the people around them. That stuck out. That became sort of like a, uh, uh, you know, one of the uh, traits of Messiah followers. And in our world, that is a challenge for us because we are not known for our love. Even though we may think we're loving, certainly uh, we're not giving off uh, some kind of uh, scent of love that attracts people. We, we're, we're not good at it. You know, myself included, it's an indictment on, on, on us all, Right? Uh, and, you know, it is interesting that, uh, and I, I know I probably mentioned this, but in, you know, in the Gospel of Luke in the 15th chapter, I can't get past the first two verses there, very interestingly, when it says, Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Okay? Or just the first verse. Well, I know, I guess verse 2 too. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So... The first thing that's interesting is they came to him that people who were sinners and understood themselves to be outsiders, sinners, not just outsiders like poor people or people who don't fit in or, you know, things like that, but people who were sinners, people who were not walking with God, people who were engaged in immoral activity, unethical activity, were attracted to the holy person. That's really interesting. Usually we think of it as, as like poor people, indigent, uh, people who don't fit in, 
just, just generally speaking, outsiders. But that's not what this says. Tax gatherers and sinners, people who were basically uh, immoral and unethical in their activities, were attracted to the Holy One. That is a real trick for us, isn't it? That's, you know, we've talked about that. I'm not going to dwell on that, even though I'm dwelling on that, okay? Then there's the way people saw him in verse 2, okay? Verse 1, that's what he did. Verse 2 of Luke 15 is this is how he was understood. Look at him. He's hanging out with the sinners, okay? So he was known for that, right? Now, this is, this is very interesting. I, generally speaking, what we are known for is pointing out the sins, pointing fingers, uh, and with a, you know, with a heart of great sincerity, perhaps, telling people there's a better way. And there is a place for that because Yeshua did that too, okay? But, but, the, but what we see here is that everything was couched in love and he became attractive to these, these people. And over the past three or four weeks, I've told even some stories uh, about that, about how, to, how people have done this, uh, uh, made a difference in communities by their love of people while still holding to their conviction of the Messiah. So in this passage, in 1 John 3, John is harping on them to love the brethren, love the brethren. And, and what he says now is, uh, we shall know by this. And this, I would suggest, is what he, what he has been saying in the previous verses. The this is what he's been saying in the previous verses about loving the brethren in word and in deed. Okay? So if you read verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. That's a great, very important truth for us to get. One of the greatest assurances uh, of, of, our, of our faith, of, of uh, walking with God and saying, well, you know, uh, I know in whom I believe, is that we live right. Not only are, not live right, and I will say, not just live right and be obedient to God. Because oftentimes, the way that we understand that is, I read my Bible and I pray, and I come to services, and I even come early, or I stay late, or I, I attend everything going on, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and I... I, I uh, have a, uh, um, you know, I'm nice at work or whatever, you know, I don't know, whatever we might say about that. But here he is saying specifically this assurance is loving people, loving people. Now, we have talked about the fact that uh, lots of people can love people, right? But when we as Messiah followers are loving people, especially when it, there's a cost involved, we know where it's coming from. We know that it's coming from my relationship with God. We can love because he first loved us. And we, me, I am pretty unlovable, but he loved me, right? And didn't Yeshua tell wonderful parables about that, about forgiving debt, and then how important it is for us that to forgive, the, forgive, forgive others and, 
and so on, because we, from what we have experienced, we know that inside of us. We'd say in Yiddish, in our kishkes, we know that. Inside of us, we know that, that it's, it's coming from our love of God. And when we love, coming from that love that God has shown us, even though, remember, uh, just read Isaiah 53 about how humiliated Yeshua was and how misunderstood he was. He loved. He truly loved. And we are called to that. And when we love that way, that is a great assurance of our faith. And it gives us boldness uh, in approaching God and, and talking about God, you know? And, and, uh, and so this first thing that he says here is, uh, we shall know by this, loving not only with word and tongue, but indeed in truth, that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. We assure our heart. In other words, we know inside of us before God that I know the Lord. And you know what? Let me just say this. That makes you feel good, doesn't it? You know, when you're right with God and you know that you've, you're right with God, it's not like you're uh, being proud. It's that you, you feel we're human beings. And, and part of us is feeling good about being right with God and doing the right thing. You know, there are some who teach such a, uh, that if you feel anything positive, then you're of the flesh, you know, and, uh, and that it, uh, it's not really coming from God, but it's coming from your flesh if you feel good about it. I would say, you know, let's be human. Let's be like real human beings, right? And, uh, and when we please the one who is in authority, we should feel good about pleasing the one who is in authority. God is our authority. But you see, it may not please everybody around us. That's the tough part, see? But uh, we have an assurance in our heart. It's like we say to our heart, according to this verse, right? We, we shall assure our heart before him, okay? All right. Now, but then it says, in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I... I Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So this is rather interesting. What he says here is, is that even if our heart condemns us, and here is a great little statement, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And I think in most English translations, it's kind of, it's a little choppy. Uh, but, but what it's saying here is, is that when we love when we are loving the way we're supposed to love, as we've been talking, uh, that is a great assurance. And, and it assures our heart. But, you know, we can't always trust our heart. Because sometimes our heart condemns us. Sometimes we're not being as sensitive as we should. And we're not being as loving as we are called to be. And we start whipping ourselves. And we, uh, we condemn our, inside of us, we condemn ourselves. And so what he's saying here, in essence, is, is that while our heart, while we can assure our heart when we are walking with God and loving people the way we should, we can have assurance, there are times when our heart will condemn us. And our heart condemns us, you know, when we're not walking with God, and we're saying, hey, how, can I, I, uh, how can I stand up there and say this and and then act out like that, or how can I say one thing and do another, and, uh, and um, uh, 
you know, and, and really be a believer. And may I suggest what he's saying here is our heart is not the decider of who we are in the Lord. Because there are times when we are not being loving. There are times, and even in the broader, in the broader way, when we're just not walking with God. There are times when we fall to a temptation. There are times when we go through a period of time. My guess is that there may be even a few of us that we've gone a season without really reading the Bible and praying regularly. Just the things of life get in the way. Or something, you know, we get a left hook. You know, we get those once in a while. Where we get a phone call or something happens and it just like throws us off, you know? Uh, and, uh, and, and we just uh, aren't there, and our heart is not right. And then we go through sometimes a self-pitying, self-condemning kind of thing, and, and our heart is telling us we are not right, we're not right, and so therefore, you know, who am I? I have no confidence, no assurance, no boldness to approach God. And, uh, and so he says, but listen, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You know, I would suggest that uh, 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 this little phrase should be one of those phrases that, you know, you're able to roll off your tongue, like, uh, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, and, uh, you know, other, other great little phrases that we know. This is a great, this is, a, this is great news. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Our heart is not the decider. God is the decider. God is bigger than our heart. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than my sin. He's bigger than my self-condemnation. And he knows everything. He knows what is really true about you. Even when you mess up, he knows that you still love him, but that you are men and women of clay feet. He knows that. Now, you know, there's a great passage in uh, Jeremiah, right? You may be familiar with this. It. in Jeremiah chapter 17. In Jeremiah uh, 17, we read here, verse 9 and 10, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What a great little <laughs> phrase can understand it? It's like a rhetorical question. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? There are a lot of times when something will happen to us and then we make all these assumptions about ourselves and everybody else. And we create like, I use a, a weird, weird phrase for, uh, for us, an alternative reality. Like, like you know, like, like we're assuming all kinds of things about myself I, uh, about who I am and about who people are and what they're thinking and what I'm thinking because the heart will lead us astray. Our heart is not to be trusted 100% of the time. Now, when he says, you know, that we'll, have that we'll have assurance in our heart, that means that inside of us, you know, by living lovingly, we know who we are. And that's good. However, there are times when our heart cannot be trusted. Okay? Uh, and and uh, uh, it says at the beginning of verse 10, uh, next to verse 9 there, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Okay? 
Uh, now, we will uh, come back to the last two lines of verse 10 in a little while. But uh, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. God knows you better than you know yourself. He does not see you the way you do, nor does he see you the way other, certainly the way other people do. See, he knows uh, indeed what is really uh, going on inside of us. And so there is an assurance in that. So that even when we sin and even when we are feeling conviction, we need to know God is greater than my heart. God is greater than me. And you know, uh, in uh, uh, several different passages in the uh, New Covenant, that actually uh, John, uh, in his uh, gospel, uh, writes, uh, there are some great uh, words about this. For example, in, uh, if you go to the Gospel of John, written by the very same person, in chapter 10, he says this, in verses 27 to 29. John 10, 27 to 29. Maybe this was even on his mind as he's writing this, you know. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is what? Is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Hand. That includes ourselves, okay? And so no one can snatch us away from a God. In earlier in John chapter 6, similarly, Yeshua says in John 6, verse 37, 38, and 39 and 40, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So Yeshua gives these assurances that He's holding on to us, and that uh, I, uh, he protects us. You know, the, just something that comes to mind is in 1 Peter in the New Covenant. Just always scary when it just pops in there. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read here, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua HaMashiach from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. Okay? So you know what's interesting? Notice that what we read is that when we trust in the Lord, we, ne we may die, but we don't perish. We may die, but we don't perish. And the inheritance is imperishable. The inheritance is imperishable. Okay? and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. How many times and how many ways can he say that, that it is there, it's not going anywhere, and uh, when you embrace the Lord, this is indeed your future. 
It's not like, well, maybe now it's your future. No, indeed it is. And then he says, who are protected. I love this part. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so, God is greater than our heart. We may not feel that all of that is always true about us. But you see, He is protecting us. When we embrace the Lord, there is this assurance. Okay? And so we indeed have this confidence uh, before a God. Because God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. He never misunderstands us. He never says to us, but, that, but wait a minute, wait, wait, that's not what I thought you said. That's not what I heard you saying. No, 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 no. He already knows. He knows. Even if we can't articulate it well, even if we misspeak, even if we fall to a temptation, of, and, and specifically in 1 John, even if we have a closed heart and we're not loving, he knows who indeed we really are. Now, there's another illustration. Let me give you an illustration of a, of a person in the Bible. Turn to the book of Judges for a second. Judges chapter 6. Judges 6. Gideon is a very interesting person. Gideon is a, uh, an, an ironic kind of figure. Okay? By the way, you know, uh, one of, uh, I don't know if you ever remember, it was a long time ago, but I preached through Judges. And it was, I'll tell you, that was a really rewarding experience. Uh, Judges is a very interesting book. Not only just to read it, you know, flatly, like, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. But to understand how the writer of Judges uses all kinds of figures of speech and, and ways of communicating. There's humor in the book of Judges. There is irony in the book of Judges. And then also how the Judges work, what's happening with the Judges. Uh, they start out pretty good and kind of work their way down. Okay, so Gideon is rather interesting, and we, uh, you know, we think of him as a very positive figure as well. We should, but he was really a man with clay feet, uh, for sure. So what you have here is the Midianites were oppressing uh, uh, the uh, the Israelites, uh, and um, if you go down to verse ten, okay, well, verse is uh, verse eight, nine, and ten. Okay, so the people cry out. This is part of that cycle in the book of Judges. The people cry out because of the oppression of the Midianites. So God sends a prophet to them. And this is what the prophet says in verse 8. Thus says the Lord, see in the middle of the verse, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, in Judges 6, 8. It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you, uh, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear. Uh, and the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you live. In other words, listen, you know, I love you unconditionally. Look what I've done for you. I said to you, don't fear, because I, I'm with you. But you have not obeyed me. You have not obeyed me. He's not condemning them here. What he is saying, the reason that you're so fearful is because we have become estranged. It's not that you're not my children anymore. It's not that I don't love you anymore. But from your kind of warped point of view, you don't think I love you anymore. You have created an alternative reality about me 
you don't think I love you. But it's not that I don't love you. It is that you have disobeyed. You have like walked away from me. You have become estranged from me. And you see, uh, uh, we could say that uh, their heart, the heart of the people, did not understand the love of God and that we are done for. You know, God has left us. He's forsaken us. And we're afraid. And sometimes we may feel that way. But may I suggest that that is not the true reality. That is a reality that you may have in your heart because your heart, my heart, our heart, is indeed deceitful. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Orpha, Ophra, Ophra. There's so many O names. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, okay. So, which belonged to Joash, the Abizorite, uh, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Okay? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. You know, are you talking to me, O valiant warrior? Right? And so Gideon did not see himself as a valiant warrior, of course. But you see, God knew him, he knew who he was. Uh, clay feet and all, okay? Now, notice what Gideon says. Does Gideon say, yes, my Lord, what would you have me do? Or, oh, Lord, yes, thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. No. He says, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring up uh, bring us up from Egypt, and now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, you know, enough complaining, Gideon. I'm just about through with you. No, he doesn't say that. Gideon is not chastised, condemned, as we might do to somebody who says that. Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And then Gideon says, O oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? My family's the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian in one hand. Now, I won't take any more time on this, but if you read through just chapter 6, uh, you will see that Gideon still is doubting here, and he asks God for a variety of signs. And God understands human frailty. And he does not condemn him for it. He does it. <laughs> he gives him the signs. Because God knew what Gideon was made of down deep inside, and he called him for this purpose. Gideon's heart was deceiving him, but God is greater than Gideon's heart. God is greater than our heart. God is greater than our fears and our doubts uh, and the alternative realities that we've created about ourselves and other people because our heart is not the decider. And so, uh, how great it is, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we, now in verse 22 of 1 John 3, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So this is very interesting. So first he says, I, I, you know, your confidence should come from your identity in the Lord. Your confidence comes from God because God is greater than your heart. 
So even if you uh, have uh, messed up, in whatever way you've messed up, do not let the way you feel about yourself be the deciding factor in approaching God. Okay? But there's a huge however here. Because it's fascinating that then he says, you know, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. And now this sounds great. If it would just stop there, then we could say that, uh, okay, so even if I mess up, I have confidence to come before God, so it doesn't really matter if I mess up. No, it matters if we mess up. But it does not change our identity in the Lord. But when we mess up, and, we, and our confidence is in God, what is the telltale sign of what's really, of who we really are? We will be convicted of our sins. Oftentimes, conviction of sin becomes, in, in our heart, becomes interpreted by us as condemnation. But when we are convicted of our sin, that means God is at work inside of us. And so, what, and we've said this before in this letter, it's a theme. What, what, is a, what is a great mark of spirituality, of who we really are? That when we mess up, we run to God. We confess our sins. We repent and we confess our sins. Even if we still have a problem articulating it and getting it right and everything else, we confess our, our sins. See? Because in verse 22 he says, I mean, if you look in verse 21 and 22, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. So the idea here is, he's not leaving the idea here of loving people. That he's saying, look at when you mess up and when you are not loving, do not then run away. But recognize that God is greater than your heart greater than your sin, so therefore, get up and get it right and start loving people. Uh, not stay in your sin and sort of be, you know, wallow in the mire of self-pity and I just will never be loving, but I, but I can still have boldness and power in, in, in my life. No, that when, we, when our heart is deceiving us, telling us we're condemned, no, we should run to God because when we run to God, and when we confess our sins, we will then see ourselves for who we really are. And we will indeed be able to come with confidence. And the word confidence, it means really like boldness. We can come freely, boldly before God. That we uh, are uh, walking in his ways. And John, like all the writers in the Brit Hadashah, as well as in the Torah and the prophets, do not see a difference between loving God and loving people. Do not see a difference between embracing God, being close to God, thirsting for God, confessing my sins so I can have more of God, and living out God's character, primarily of, of love and everything filtered through it. We live, and we, we still may not understand it wholly, because I believe that for many of us, myself included, we are raised with this big chasm between what I believe and what I do. The Bible does not teach that. What I believe will be reflected in what I do, in how I live. If I believe that I am condemned, if I believe that I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm done, we will not live for the Lord. 
and it becomes a vicious circle. But if we mess up and we believe that, that God still loves me unconditionally and I love the Lord and because he is greater than my heart and he is greater than my sin, then I will enter into this progressive holiness, a progressive walk with God. We like to refer to it as progressive sanctification. Right? We will, we will walk with God more and more. We, none of us are finished products. And how important is it for us to understand that? So, when you come back to Jeremiah chapter 17, when he says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to even to give to each one according to his ways, according to the fruit, I have in my translation results, but according to the fruit of his deeds. What that means is that God searches the heart, and now here he's saying it as a judgment negatively, but we can make the application also positively, that here he's saying that you may say you love me, you love me, you love me, but I will, I will reward you according to what you, what you do, how you act out. Well, in this, also in the very same way, uh, God will uh, reward us, so to speak, according to the fruit that we bear. Uh, and it is very interesting because John himself certainly agrees with this. If you read just in one place, in the fifth chapter of, uh, of John, in John chapter 5, he says in verse... 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. He's talking about resurrection. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Sounds awful a lot like we're being judged ultimately by simply what we do. No, it is because who we are is reflected in how we act out. And so it is very important for us to recognize, going back to 1 John, that our assurance, see, he's coming back to the very same thing, that the great assurance we have is when we're living for the Lord, living for the Lord, loving, loving people, even when there's a risk in my own life, even when I can be uh, misunderstood, uh, or whatever the case may be, loving, loving people, loving people who don't like me, hmm? Right? I, I, uh, loving, uh, loving the, the brethren. Now, let's face it, even among the brethren, uh, some of us don't get along very well, but we are called the telltale sign of our own assurance, which gives us great boldness to come before God, is uh, loving. How we do that is another story. We've talked about that. We'll, we'll talk about it again later on uh, when we get into chapter 4, but we need to understand this, that this is a great assurance of our faith and gives us boldness, right? And so, then he says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Yeshua HaMashiach and love one another. How much more, you know, how much more straightforward is that, right? Believe in his name and love one another, just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know this, and we know by this, that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Well, what Anna read in, in uh, John 14, uh, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about the role of the Spirit. But 
when we embrace Yeshua, the, the Ruach HaKodesh comes to dwell in us, convicts us, empowers us, teaches us, all those things so that we can truly uh, live out the very life of Yeshua and that, so that tax gatherers and sinners might indeed say, I want to hear what you have to say. Hmm? I, and may that give us great assurance that, uh, uh, and, can, and uh, comfort our hearts that we truly know the Lord. But again, remember, when you mess up, God is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. And when you remember that, you confess your sins, and you move on, and we begin to grow in grace uh, and move forward in our faith and, uh, and be able to come before God in great boldness. And the very last thing is, is he talks about prayer. He's talking about prayer. We can come in boldness in prayer. So if you feel that, boy, you know, my prayer life is just not what it is, maybe the problem is, is our heart. Maybe that we have become a little estranged like Gideon and, and the people in his day. Uh, uh, maybe we need to return to the Lord and we need to have more of an assurance, you know, of my walk with God by living for him, by being obedient to him. And obedience to God based on who he is will, uh, will uh, teach our hearts so that we are, we are right in understanding ourselves so that if we understand ourselves, we walk with God. When we mess up, we, we don't trust our heart. We trust God who is greater. We return to God and we walk with God. And we continually walk on that path and we'll be strengthened and strengthened and emboldened and emboldened. And you will see a great power in your life and your, in prayer and in testimony. And that is what John is saying. How powerful is it when we love one another? Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God for this important word, and we thank you for it. We pray, God, that if we uh, are not, if we are thinking wrongly, that it's from our heart, Lord, may we not just trust our heart. May we go to you, for you are greater than our heart. You know all things. You know who we really are. Lord, may we know that when we embrace you, we will not be snatched out of your hand. And Lord, may we constantly return to you, constantly return to you, and be emboldened and empowered and understand ourselves and make a difference in the world around us. And we pray in Messiah's name.